A new introduction. All right, so mazel tov to the Millers and Yeshagayach for their sponsorship for their 61st uh, wedding anniversary. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. It's many, many more years in good health. Bez Hashem, 120. Nachas and good health and simchas by the whole family. Merz Hashem. All right, so we're up to Parsh Yishlach. Yes. Good, we can get going. Yeah, it's good. Perfect. All right, Parsh Yishlach. Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefonov. Yaakov sends angels, messengers in front of him to Esav Achiv, Esav his brother. Now we're all familiar with the story up until now. If we've been following through with the, the Torah portion, this is about to be a physical showdown between the two brothers that have been arguing since the womb. Arza Seir Sedei Edom, the womb. Reminds me, my mother, Zacharin Lebracha when we were starting, when our twins were starting in Torah prep. So there was a lot of people telling us that maybe um, it's not a good idea for them to be in the same class. Twins, sometimes in the same class, uh, could be could be tsaris. So I asked my mother, I was like, Ma, should I, you know, maybe, there's no two classes in Torah prep, maybe we do two, one per each school, that's a whole other carpool, you know, especially the younger grades, two good schools, why not? My mother said, they shared the same womb, they could share the same room. That's it. <laughs> that was it. I was like, all right, that's it. We're, mo- we're mo- moving along. So he sends Malachim al Esav Achiv. So they've been fighting since the womb, yeah? And that, that was inside between Olam Haza and Olam Haba. And now they're going to have their showdown in this, in this, uh, in planet Earth. Artsa Seir Sede Edom, towards the land of Seir, in the land of Edom. And Yaakov now has these angels in front of him. What we've exp- expressed last year already was, is that Rashi tells us that these malachim, these messengers, Rashi's malachim mamish, were literal messengers, which I don't know why we would have thought otherwise, but the Mefarshim here explained, the Zayar HaChadosh actually says, and uh, you'll recall this, it's a fascinating idea, is that the word mamish, besides for being a yeshivish expression, they try giving it a definition. Mamish, mamish, whatever, mamish, yeah, literal, whatever. Mamish Mem Mem Shin Mem Mem Shin stands for actually an acronym of the three angels that were sent Michael Malkiel Mem Mem Michael Malkiel and Shenandiel that's the Shin and the Gematria of actually these three angels names is 677 and Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Yaakov sent angels also has the same exact numerical value of 677. This is what Rashi means by saying Malachim Mamish, that the first letters of their names, Rashi is hinting to us exactly not only that they were literal angels, but which angels were, uh, were actually sent. So he's sending these angels in front of him. Now, what does he tell these angels to do? So Esav, now, it's so important to keep hold of this picture. This is incredible. Esav's coming to do what? To kill Yaakov, finally, once and for all, right? He's going to get his baby brother, and um, he's going to, you know, the, he's, he ran away, and he went to yeshiva for 14 years, and now he's lived by Lavan <laughs> for, for 20 years, and now finally he's going to get a chance to kill him, and that's really what we're aiming for. And Yaakov knows what he's, what he's up against. So he tells the angels, he says, listen, Vayetzabu saw Lamar, and he commands them, saying, so shall you say to my master Esau. He's calling Esav his master, not only to Esav, interestingly, this is very important, you'll see why soon. He's even calling Esav his master to the literal angels that he's sending. Which means, sometimes you are, speak one way, but you have a different way with your heart. 
and you'll say something uh, not in front of somebody, and you might try to flatter them in, in a different sense, in a different form, right? When they're around, you're like, oh, I think you're so cool, you know, you're, you're hot stuff. And then when they turn around, you'll be like, yeah, wink, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> loser, right? But um, interestingly, Yaakov's not, he doesn't view Esau like this, where he's like, what we call in Hebrew, echad bepev, echad believe. You're one way with your mouth and one way with your heart. Yaakov's referring to Esau as his master, which the Hebrew word we're going to refer to here as being machnia, very important word. Machnia means to make yourself subservient and to humble yourself in front of somebody else. He's, this is part of the way he's preparing himself to greet Esau by, by honestly and sincerely being machnia himself in front of Esau. And we'll see why this is such an important uh, idea as we move along. So shall you say to my master Esav, Ko amar Yaakov. So says your servant Jacob, your servant Yaakov. So he's saying, tell, tell Esav, you're my master, and this is what your servant Yaakov is saying, Im garti, if I have dwelled with love on Vaicharad Ota, and it's, you know, I've, uh, I've hesitated till now, I've held off with this showdown till now. Now, what does it mean, Im garti? So. Rashi, as is well known, Rashi tells us, Lavan Garti, I've dwelled with Lavan. Rashi says, Garti is the gematria, the numerical value of Taryag, 613, which is strange because usually numerical value is different words with the same value. Here it's the same exact letters. So it's interesting that Rashi says, Garti and Taryag are numerically connected. He could have just said, look, it's the same word, just different, uh, different letters, which could be, uh, which could all be put together, and uh, when we, um, when one of our, when Zelda was expecting the twins, who we were talking about before, it's coming up again, okay, a partial of twins. Um, so one of the names that we were, uh, we were considering was um, to name after my grandmother, my bubby Bella. Now my bubby Bella's Hebrew name was Bela, Okay, and she spells it Bez Yud Lamed Aleph, which, as we, I mentioned at the Rebbe's Mitzvah, stands for Baruch Hashem La'olam Amin. Okay, it's an acronym for, for, those, four, for those four words. Um, and Zelda wasn't so sure. You know, I was like, oh, we'll name after my grandmother. Maybe that's the idea. And Zelda wasn't so sure. She was, she was so comfortable with the name for whatever reason. For whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know. She was comfortable with the name at the time. Ultimately, obviously, she was, you know, she was fine with it. Um, but we were in camp. And this was two months before they were born. We were in camp, and Rabhilo David was actually in camp with us. It's a big guddle from New York. And I asked him, I said, I said, you know, we have a grandmother to name after. We're considering this name. And for some reason, my wife's not so comfortable uh, with this name on this child. It's, it's interesting how it, how it happens. Um, her, we actually decided to name her Rachel. And then, like in the middle of davening, the morning we were going to name her, we were in Toronto. Um, we we're in Toronto, and I went to Shul, and we were going to name them in Shul, Rachel and Shira. And then, like, uh, right after Shachra Shmona Esrei, I was like, I don't think that's the right names. <laughs> and I was like, now what do I do? So I was like, nah, you know, I think, I, you know, so I actually ran back to my in-law's house where Zelda wasn't coming to shul. And uh, I was like, 
I was like, I think it's Bela and Shira. She's like, you're right, you're right. <laughs> so I ran back and I got back in time for my Aliyah. But be it as it may, uh, we had Rachel. Uh, we, we, I, the, the next one we were more comfortable with that name, which is interesting. I'll tell you another story with names. Another story with names. When I was born, so three of my grandparents had passed away the year before I was born. My, my fa- both my father's parents passed away a few months apart. And my mother's father. My father's father was Yitzchak Isaac. My mother's father was Menachem Mendel. And my father's mother was Bella. They passed away the year before I was born. And then my grandmother, who I quote very often, my Bubby Per, she, the Einhara, lived till 107. And I, she passed away when I was, uh, when I was in high school. Uh, so her, I, I had the schos, I had the merit to uh, spend time with. Um, but what happened was... So I, now uh, another child came to the world and they weren't sure which one to name me. They named me after my mother's father or after my father's father. Okay. So they asked Rav Segel, the Manchester Shiva. That's the Manchester Shiva, which name they should give me. And the first question, and the first question that the Manchester Shiva asked my parents is, is there anybody alive, like a widow or a family member that would be meaningful for them to have that name? So since my mother's mother was still around, sort of Segel said always, if, he, says, he says my father, he says, both your parents aren't here anymore. Right? So they're, they're anyway living in a different world. It's not going to be physically meaningful to them. He says you should name him after your wife's father, name him Achimendel, because this way there's an almana, there's a widow, and uh, you know, she'll, she'll uh, gain comfort from it. So that's, that's, why, uh, that's why you get the name. Um, Interestingly, what, what's anybody supposed to know? But then, so I received the name Menachem Mendel. And then I have a son, Yisra Geiser. So either way, it doesn't really matter. If I would have been Yisra Geiser, he would have been Menachem Mendel. Baruch Hashem. Like either way, the Baruch Hashem just makes it all, uh, it makes it all work out. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Correct. We'll get into that. We'll get into that. Yosef is born and Yosef is the antidote for Esav, which we'll get into, but hopefully we'll have time to explain what this, uh, what this connection between Yosef and Esav uh, was. And once you're mentioning Yosef, once you're mentioning Yosef, the same thing happened with names. With names, it's wild, it's incredible how you never lose out by doing the right thing and trying to be there for others, ever. You never lose out. Leah had six sons, Rachel had no sons. Leah's expecting a child, her seventh child, and she knows already that if this is a boy, this is a male, then her sister is not going to have two children because they knew there were 12 tribes. Leah already had six, Billah had two, Zilpah had two. So there's already 10 and if this child is going to be a male, that's going to be the 11th tribe. And the most her sister, Rachel, Rachel, can have is one. She didn't want her sister to have less than the other wives. So she davened, she prayed. And there's a whole, there's a whole fascinating uh, discussion as to what point within the pregnancy she prayed. Was it before 40 days where it's not yet determined the gender? Or was it after 40 days? And that's why Dina even though she was born female, had some male tendencies. It's fascinating, fascinating conversation, which is why she went out among Shem. A, a, a lot of fascinating conversations there, but be it as it may, you'd say, listen, we're dealing with the tribes. 
We're dealing with the Shvatim. Leia, look what she gave up. Look what she gave up. She gave up a tribe for her sister. That's beautiful. And then you look back at the story and what happened with Dina. So what happened with Dina was she was violated by Shechem. And they had a daughter from that violation. That daughter's name was Osnas, who was in Mitzrayim and married Yosef. And they had Ephraim and Menashe. So what happened was, which is a whole conversation, another conversation, as Tyre is always symmetrical and interconnected. But Leah prays that her sister should have one Shevet. And that Shevet's given to her sister. But ultimately the daughter that she ended up with had grandchildren. Dina's daughter Asnas had a friend. She gave up one tribe and ended up with two tribes. Because Yosef, who she actually gave to her sister Rachel, ended up dividing into the two tribes that were the, that were the great-grandchildren of Leah. So everything, this is, it's just incredible how ultimately, you know, you, you think you're giving up, you're never giving up. You're always there for somebody else. It, uh, it comes back. Yeah. We didn't even start on what we were, what we were prepared to do. Go ahead. No, keep going. Since you were there. Yeah. <laughs> there's always something about this story that always agitated me. I can't get right around it. If Leah already had four sons, she didn't have to get herself up. She, 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 she wasn't ready to have any more children. No, she stopped having children right. at the time. She had four sons. Her sister had none. Mm-hmm. But her, her sister, who gave her handmaid over, Bella, we understand she had no children. But Leah already had four. Correct. So I don't understand why she had to have Zofa, uh, Zofa come in and have more children for her. That's what I don't get. I mean, I see all. Okay, I hear. I don't have a straight answer for that. Yeah, I don't. They they knew with Ruach Hakodesh there was going to be twelve. They knew there was going to be twelve. She knew she had hers. She knew that Billa was, uh, you know, had her too. And now she gave to make up for the twelve. Her her sister's going to be barren, so she gave Yaakov uh, another wife to to have. I don't have a I don't have a better answer for you. Yeah, I hear. But she was making sure Claudia Shaw was going to be created. That's in the in the broader picture. That's that was her concern. Yeah, in the broader picture, that was her that was her concern. But I hear, I hear why. Okay, all right. So here we go. So I'm love on Garti. So here we go. So I'm love on Garti. Sirashi says, going back to this Taryag idea, going back to this Taryag idea, um, that uh, Yaakov says, "I'm love on Harosha Garti. I lived with love on the wicked guy." The Tariag Mishamarti, and I kept the 613 commandments, and I didn't learn from his evil ways. The obvious question on this is it seems to be redundant. Yaakov's telling Esav, first of all, he's subjugating himself, okay, keep noticing this. But within that subjugation, within saying, You're my master, I'm your servant, he's letting him know it's what we call a, a Jewish pride. He's saying, There's an element here that you will not mess with. And that is my mitzvos. Whatever you, I, I, I will make myself subservient, but not if it means causing me to not be connected with Hashem. And Lavangarti, I'm letting you know something. I keep the 613 commandments. So if you mess with me, you're messing with the whole family. You're messing with God. Good luck. Right? And then he says, I didn't learn from his evil ways. Now, we ask, is this redundant? So the Bali Musr, our Musr leaders explain, this is not redundant at all, because fortunately or unfortunately, just being observant is not the goal. 
It's not the idea. The idea is not, God tells you to do something, go do it. That's not enough. Yaakov Avinu, our forefather Jacob, he's teaching us that you can keep all 613, but you could still act like the nations who don't follow in the ways of God. So he's saying there's two, re- there's two things combined that's, that I'm telling you has Hashem on my side. Number one is I listen. Number two is I act. You can, you can be observant and act, God forbid, like a lowlife. And not have the proper character and not have the proper midos and, and all those things. So that's a contradiction which, in terms. Yeah. It could be a contradiction. It it, how so? If, if you're, you can't be observant and then act improperly. Very good. Okay. So what, what uh, Rebbets and Simon is saying like this, and I'm going to put your words, I'm, I'm going to bring it to a statement that was said by Rav Shimon Schwab at an Aguda convention in the 1970s, where there was apparently, before that convention, there was something in the front cover of a lot of the New York papers about about uh, Orthodox Jews that did some things shady when it came to taxes and so on and so forth. And it was in the forefront of everybody's mind because now the community is being represented like that. And he got up and he started his speech and he said, it says in the papers that there are Orthodox Jews that aren't being honest. And I want to tell you something. If they're not being honest, they're not Orthodox Jews. Mamish, what you're saying. He's saying you could wear a shaitel, you could wear a yarmulke, you could wear a talis, you could wear it fill in the whole day. If you don't act, what does it mean to be an Orthodox Jew? You act the way, you, you do your best to act the way that Hashem asked you to do. If you're not honest, then now you're just, you're playing dress up. You're saying the, the two things, I, I, very nice. So what Rebbeth Simon here is saying is like this. And this is, this is a, it's taking it to the, uh, the, taking it to a deeper level that we need to grasp over here. What Yaakov is saying I've dwelled with love in Russia. I've kept the commandments, which means included in that is I don't act like him. Because if I did act like him, the 630 commandments wouldn't be worthwhile. Beautiful. Right? The two things are, it's two separate things, but obviously they, they need to be interconnected because one without the other, you're not even keeping the mitzvahs the way that, Gavaldic, excellent, the way that Hashem um, expect us to do this. The question that they ask is, how can Yaakov Avinu claim that he kept all 630 commandments if later on, ya- Yosef, he was punished by Yosef being away for 22 years. For the 22 years, he separated from his own father, from uh, Yitzchak and Rivka. So he didn't fulfill those mitzvahs for 22 years. That's what they call a velt question. That's a question that the world seems to challenge about, you know, how do you keep it in the answer that they come up with is is very important, which is that it, when it comes in front of Hashem, it's not the results. It's actually the yearning to do it and the efforts and the trying to get it done that gives a person the reward, even if they never actualized it in, in practice. And this is why Yaakov doesn't say, Tariag mitzvos kiyamti. He doesn't say, I fulfilled the 613 commandments. Rather, he says, the Tariyak Mitzvah, 630 Commandments, Shamarti. Shamarti is to yearn. For example, when Yosef had his dreams and he told it over to his father, it says his father, Yaakov, Va'aviv Shamar Esadavar. He yearned for the day that the dream will come true. So Yaakov saying, I, the 630 Commandments, did I actually fulfill it? Not necessarily, but Shamarti, I yearned in the eyes of Ash Baruch Hu, in, in the true 
grading of our test, I have fulfilled all 630 commandments, so I have that, um, I have that uh, protection in place. You can, yeah, go ahead. The Shemar does mean to God, yeah. And it means to you? Correct. Correct. At the root of it, they actually are very much connected. Because guarding something is um, actually a mindset. It's a mindset of caring, uh, of uh, caring about something. There, one of my, my, one of my Rashivas, Rav Nassim Stein, uh, who I had the merit to learn by for close to three years in Lakewood, so he actually came when we had the installation um, in 2013. I don't know, you would know better than me. I remember. <laughs> but he came and, and he spoke. So we were, we were talking and he, he was telling me the difference. He's like, Menachem, I'll tell you the difference between a Rashiva and a rabbi. So he told me that he was, um, he was at a wedding. And after the chuppah, so the couple goes into a yichud room. Where the room's empty, the only ones there, and then they're in the yichud room. Discussion for how long? Anywhere between five minutes and nine minutes, depending on who's a, who the Masada Kedushin is and, and what is. Okay. Now, dur- during the five minutes that they're in the yichud room, so you have Adam, you have witnesses that stand outside the door, and then once the allotted time is up, they walk away. And this way, if there's any question as to whether there was yichud, which according to some opinions is how you consummate the marriage, uh, by just dwelling in a room together, so th- that's enough. As he said, I believe we may have shared the story before, he said he was asked to be an, uh, a witness on the Yichud, so he's standing outside the door of the room, and the five minutes aren't up, and they started a minion for Marv. In the hallway, right outside the Yichud room, the Yichud room was right off the hallway, in this hall. So his question was, he wanted to daven with a minion, but his question was, could he daven with a minion by standing outside the door and blocking it from opening. The door opened outwards. So he's, his question was like this. His question was, if he stands in front of the door and then he has kavana of davening, so he knows they didn't come out, otherwise he would be on the floor. They would not come over. At the same time, he's focused on davening. He's not focused on being a witness, on, on, you know, on being the shomer over the situation. So he said every Roshiva that he asked told him that he can't daven with that minion. No, you need the mindset, you need the das, you need this. And he said, every rabbi, every uh, career rabbi, he said, yeah, you know, it was done, it was done. Like, you, you know, it's fine. <laughs> it's like, he, he's like, he's like uh, and they're both right. But that's the difference between the Rashiva and the Rashiva's are into getting the alumnus and the whole thing. And then the bottom are like, okay, you, you, you have to have it with a minion, you got to get that done. You know, they're in there, it's good. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, but but uh, going back to Shmira, so Shmira generally needs, you need a mindset. You need, and that's part of yearning for something means that you have something on your mind and you want to, uh, you want to keep it going. I want to uh, mention something before we run out of time. It's such a powerful idea. I need, like, I so badly want to talk. I found this so fascinating. I'm probably going to speak about it Shabbos morning also. I'd love to learn this together with everybody Shabbos morning. It is such an idea. It's just percolating in my mind and it's like, it's like, get, it's like getting there. So this is, I'd love to open up for conversation for myself to get clarity in this. Yaakov and Esau are having their showdown, right? They're about, they're, Yaakov is not threatening Esau. Esau is coming to threaten Yaakov. Okay. Now, ultimately, when they come together, so the beginning, Yaakov, well, hopefully we'll have time for this as well. Yaakov and the angel of Esau, 
they struggle. Ultimately, Yaakov is able to overcome him and he has to go and sing Shira. And now it's time for the, the physical showdown between Yaakov and Esav. And what happens during their physical showdown? Esav's coming with these 400 Talmidim, 400 students who he hired, right? They're, they're, they're goons and they're thugs who are uh, coming along with him. And huh? no, he hired he hired people to come along with him. He had his family too, but they they weren't. And and um, Esav lifts up his eyes and he sees everything that Yaakov Avinu has. Um, and let me turn to the pasuk. What happens as soon as he sees him? Vayorotz Esav lekroso. Esav runs towards Yaakov. What do you think he's about to do? Why? You're right. That's what the proposal is. He kisses him. What, what, what would you think he's going to do? He's going to come out with his rifles. He's going to come out with his arrows and his spears. He's going to run towards Yaakov and stab his heart. That, I mean, isn't that why he's coming with these 400 chevra that he hired? But the Pasuk says, Vayaratz Esav lekrasai. Esav ran towards him by Kehu, and he hugs him by Yipol al Tzavarov, and he falls on his neck by Yishakehu, and he kisses him by Yibchu, and they cried together. I can only imagine what his whole army is thinking. <laughs> it's like for this, like that—that's why you 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 want us here. Like he's like, yeah, I'm gonna kill this guy. We kill his family. We're gonna knock everybody out. And he sees him, and it's it's nuts. It's nuts. And, and there's a big message in this Pasuk that has a lot to do with our relationship with Esau and Gullus and exile <clears throat> um, in general. So what's the okay. dot, dot on the... Okay, line? so what are the dots on top of Ayishkehu? So Rashi tells us, It wasn't, he didn't kiss him with his entire heart. Didn't he, bite his he kissed him with the tire. That actually, the other opinion was that it actually was completely with his heart. Um, but for that moment, his, his uh, Rachmanus kicked in. His, um, his, uh, his mercy. His mercy kicked in, but it actually was with his, it actually was with his entire heart. Okay. Maybe afterwards he tried taking a good chunk uh, out of his neck. But at least for a moment, at least for a moment, he hugs him and kisses him. And it's like legit. It's like for real. Says the Sforno. Got to listen to this. I don't know if you're going to be as uh, inspired by this as me, but let's try. See if uh, we do. Says the Sforno. What happens? Esav runs towards Yaakov and he and he kisses him. Pasuk Dalid. Okay. Nepach Libo. Esav's heart completely changed. Kemo Rega for that moment. Why? Because of Yaakov's humbling himself. Yaakov kept calling him my master and he was sincere. And Yaakov said, I'm your servant. And he was sincere. And he sends him the presents that he sends to Esau because he was sincere. Because he was machnia himself, what happened was, Esau's heart changed. And says the Sfarnu, who by the way is a Rishon from like the times of Rashi and Rambam. Sfarnu says, 
like in our Indian, we're in Golos, Begolos in Bnei Esav. When we're in exile amongst the descendants of Esav, Haomer Begovo, Mi Yerideni Aretz, Vaho Roshaniya Nemlotim Yarcherev Gaiva Bachno Umincha. You have to make sure not to get too arrogant when you're in exile. The way to be successful in exile, says this Farnu, this is incredible, is Hachna'a. A Jew stays on the low. A Jew stays on the low in exile. Ka'omram Chazal, like the Gemara tells us in Tractate Tainus, Chafam Bar Aleph, Shachia Hashilani kill Esjah Bekon Achnei Lachal Ruches Hainlay also came by Yoni Ben Eishen. By Eishen, he says, and you know, by the destruction of the Second Temple, when the Jews revolted, Loyhoya Nechrav Beis Mikdashen. If they would have listened and looked at this story of Yaakov and Esav, the Second Temple wouldn't have been destroyed, because our sages were telling everybody, chill, take a step back. This is not a time for revolt. If this is what they're doing to us, this is just a matter of gullus. This is what Rome's doing to us. It's the Bayanim, the, the tough guys who wanted to stand up, they're the ones who brought about the Chorban. Obviously, after everything was supposed to happen and everything has a rhyme and a reason, the Bayanim wanted the second base to make this to be destroyed. <coughs> but if you look at what ultimately led to it, it was the mistake of not listening to this Pasuk. So the way I got to focus on the Sfarnu is... Um, somebody sent me a shear that was given by Rabbi Kalish. He's one of the he's a shiv in Waterbury, I believe, and he was he was focusing on this theme, focusing on this theme, and he quotes Revolba. Okay, Rishlaim Revolba, who let's see, we have an Ali Shore here. Um, we have a few of his farim either on oh yeah, right there. The, it's a blue safer and back. He, he quotes Revolba, so I want to see it inside. He says Revolba says a fascinating thing on this on this farnu. The way he presents it is, if you have a group of people that are, that have been together from birth, good friends, we were diapers together, we went to preschool together, we were in middle school, we went to high school in St. Louis together, we, you know, yeah, and, and we all had the same dream, we all had the same dream, whatever that dream is, make up your favorite dream, I don't know, you want to be, uh, I don't know, anything? Anything on? Lawyers. Famous. Yeah. Famous attorney. We all want to be famous attorneys. You have, you have five friends. We all want to be big time attorneys. So we all go to the same schools there. Finally, does, it, does everybody make it? Not everybody makes it. One of them makes it. One of them makes it. Front page of, uh, not to be on the front page is not good news if you're a lawyer. But, uh, you know, big, big news. Yeah, big news, a big deal. Uh, and the other ones, uh, some of them, you know, either had to drop out of school and, you know, take different paths in life, but they never lived out the dreams that they had when they were children. Okay. They're now uh, older adults and they're getting together. And they're sitting in a restaurant and they're catching up. Who's going to be the most humble? Who's responsible socially to be the most humble of the group? The one who made it. The one who made it. The one who made it amongst everybody else is the one who's socially responsible to be like, how's everybody else doing? What can I do for you? What's, what's happening? Right? Now you, you think, oh, because it's, you know, there's humility and this. It's deeper than that. Ready? Here's what happens. Here's built into the humility is actually a midah, which generally we should not have. 
And this is hard, but when it comes to being Jewish, we need to have. And that's like this. Why does this person need to be humble? Because they have everything made for them. They're the chosen one. We say at Kiddush, God, you chose me from all the other people. Says Ravoba, incredible, when a Yid is in Gullus, when a Jew is in Gullus, our place is not to be screaming in the streets, telling everybody off, and being like, we have rights, and we have this, and you're an anti-Semite, and you're the, the, yeah, I mean, you could lobby and work within what's normal and try to stop people from hating us, but to be out there, boldly, there's a certain arrogance that you need to have to be confident enough to show humility. It's the one who has it made that has to know their pride and because you have something to be proud of by making it, you need to humble yourself. And that's the humility that Revolba explains is happening over here between Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov says, I'm humbling myself because, we'll call it in our terms, because I'm so cool, right? Be- because I have the Taryag mitzvos, and because I act in the ways of God, that's what gives me the social responsibility of hachna, of lower, of make myself subservient to you. Again, not at the expense of the mitzvos. That's what's so, that's what's so nuanced over here. And there's such a beautiful idea, so I want to you know, get into this on Shabbos morning. It's such a fascinating idea where there's the humility, but the humility is coming because you know how proud you should be by what the Rabbani Shalom has, has given us. Yeah, go ahead. So I had heard, I don't know if you remember from whom, that the difference between what you're talking about now and when Mashiach comes, uh, having that humility... Well, when Mashiach comes, but, uh, we're not dealing with Gullus. We're not going to be dealing with Esav. You're, you're dealing with... Post facto, you know, after, after the fact, um, when Klal Yisrael is going to be known to the world to be the chosen one, so that is different. Over here, we're dealing with Esav coming and trying to uh, attack Yaakov. This is the response. The response that a Jew should have is because we're proud of what we're made of, because we're proud of what we're made of, and the responsibility that Kodesh Baruch Hu has given us, that demands hachna. That demands hachna. That demands. An element of um, of humility. So that's and the difference this, between being in Gaulus and when Mashiach comes. Yeah, when Mashiach comes, there's clarity. Yeah. Everybody's clear. The Gemara of Adizara tells us that when Mashiach comes, all the nations are going to line up and uh, for their reward. Everybody, every nation is going to line. Rav Pam says this is why there's United Nations. <laughs> this is why there's United Nations. You know why there's United Nations? According to Rav Pam, he says because Mashiach's going to come. And the nations are going to line up and they say, look what we did for the Jews. Look what we did. Yeah? We built airplanes. We built bridges. We built this. We did this. And it was all for the Jews. And the Banisha is going to take out the UN Assembly's resolutions. And say, oh, really? <laughs> really? You did it. Now, why are they even going to claim that it was? Why, how are they going to claim it? Because the truth is, it is everything that Hashem allows to be built in the world is because of his glory. So when the world sees that ultimately the reason why every invention was made was to be a cause to see God, you could see greatness in a foam of look what Hashem put into this world. 
the ability to, for, and the ability that a human being can figure out that from the six days of creation, you could just manipulate different things and create new entities. And this, is, this brings glory to Hashem's name and the printing press and bookshelves and buildings and foundations and grass. And, and they're going to see all this. They're going to be like, wow, we actually did everything for God's glory. <laughs> and when they have this clarity, they're going to line up and, and demand compensation because they're going to see that's actually why they did. They're not going to try to fool anybody. They're going to see, oh, that's really glory for Hashem. And Hashem's going to respond, that was for you. It wasn't for me. If you were true, we're saying it's true. But if you would have done it for me, then you would receive reward. But since you did it for yourself and you were against those whose responsibility was to bring godliness to the world, so that's why, uh, that's why you will not receive reward. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, go ahead. So um, the, the rest of my family is not observant, so I take that same attitude. Like everybody went to my brother's on Thanksgiving and it was all trafe, you know. He's like, oh, you could have come. I said, no. I said, it's not easy to get kosher food when you have a lot of people. It's fine, you know. One of my sisters, she had a Christmas tree and she's like, oh, it's, it's just a holiday tree. Like, it's fine, whatever, you know, because you don't want to, you know, the could say badly of you for being... It's a balance. It's a balance yeah. that we need to have when we're a ghost. No question. Yeah. 